Good morning, New Hope. Good to, good to see you all and be together. It's almost Christmas. It's an exciting time and uh, good to, again, be together. If you would, grab your Bibles, please. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1. And uh, here in the month of December, we've been talking about some rhyming words. We've been, uh, we talked about, uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about the word anticipate and anticipating Christmas. And how do you prepare your heart as, as Christmas at that time was a few weeks away. Uh, last week, we talked about the word participate. And we looked at the account of the shepherds, the, the first shepherds who were there in the fields and, and going about their job. And the angel came and, and shone down and, and the message of Christ has been born for you in Bethlehem. And they went and checked it out. And, and from their account, we learned some ways that you and I can participate in Christmas and, and be a part of how do we celebrate Christmas. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of heads up. So Pastor Tom, Pastor Tom already talked about it, but uh, tomorrow night, as well as Tuesday night, our key word is going to be celebrate. Celebrate is the word because we are going to be celebrating the birth of Christ. It's going to be a great time. So again, just to echo what he already shared, love to have you out there. If you're watching on Facebook this morning, and you are in town and you can make it, uh, make that venture up the hill and come join us. We'd love to have you here in the building for one of these two worship nights. It's going to be a great time for the entire family and uh, very much looking forward to that. So the key word is celebrate tomorrow night. This morning, our word is going to keep this rhyming thing going. I'm almost running out of words, but here's the one we're going to use today. And the word is separate. Separate is our key word today. So again, Matthew chapter 1 and is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bible or uh, uversion.com is a great app. If you use a tablet or smartphone, you can follow along uh, that way as well. Now when I talk about separate, here, here's what I'm not talking about. What I'm not talking about is all the ways that culture uh, moves and, and things have changed to separate Jesus from Christmas. We, we kind of see that, don't we? And, and I think we could e- easily uh, talk about that, rant about that, point to examples about that. But that's not what I want to focus on uh, uh, this, this morning here, is, is we just see, again, Jesus being pushed more and more out of Christmas. Can I just give an example I saw here recently? In the UK, they did a study of uh, recently 2,100 Christmas cards, different types of Christmas cards came out. That's a lot of different greeting cards that people will buy and fill out and send. Out of the 2,100 Christmas cards that were published in the UK, only 82 of them referred to Jesus. That's it. And out of those 82, only 13 had baby Jesus anywhere in the artwork or the description of those cards. That's less than one half of 1% of all Christmas cards. And this would be a, a great example of how this, this plays out in so many ways. I'm also not talking about this morning some of the different ideas that we form about Christmas that separate it from the true meaning or the message of Christmas that we see in Scripture. You know how it works that so many times we, we form different pictures of what Christmas is all about and why we're supposed to celebrate it and what it is. Uh, Not to pick on the UK again, but they did a a survey of 3,000 adults there. And these are 3,000 adults who say that we celebrate Christmas. Now, this is, again, the UK. And and what they found out of that was out of those 3,000 adults, 10% of them said that the 12 days of Christmas was was symbolic or meant the amount of time that Mary was in labor with baby Jesus. Poor Mary, right? That's a long labor right there. They said, uh, 10% of them says that the wise men brought baby Jesus gifts of gold, silver, and bronze. Maybe they were medals, I don't know. Uh, 7% of them said that people eat turkey at Christmas because Turkey was the first country to celebrate Christmas. 
Again, and I'm not here to like make fun, but like just the different ideas that are formed in our minds. And then it said from this survey, it pulled out 25% of those in the UK that celebrate Christmas, 25% of them did not realize that Christmas was originally, biblically, about celebrating the birth of Jesus. 25% had no idea. But the United States isn't much different, is it? I remember years ago, Laura and I, we were involved in youth ministry. This is almost two decades ago, when we, and I was a youth pastor, and what we did was we went to a nearby mall, and we grabbed a video camera. It was just Laura and I. We wanted to make a video for the student. And so we walked around this mall, and we just asked random people, we asked them, what is the meaning of Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? What's it all about? And we would just film different snippets of people sharing different things. And as you could imagine, the answers were all over the map. I mean, there were answers on all different types of topics. But I remember one, and and Laura reminded me of this last week, I remember one interview where the guy just stared at us as we began to say, well, you know, okay, you gave an answer, but what about Jesus? He ever, and he said, who? We said, well, well, Jesus, you know, and and how he was born and, and the manger and the whole account. And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Really? And that has stuck with us for all these years of just this amazing reality that sometimes Christmas has become so separated from what the Bible says about Christmas. There's an interesting quote. I want to share this with you because I think more and more this becomes true. This is from Ed Stetzer, Lifeway. He said, most Americans celebrate Christmas like they celebrate Halloween, the fun traditions without sharing the religious significance. This is what is beginning to happen here is the separation is beginning to take place. But this is really, again, that's not what I want to talk about this morning. What I want to talk about this morning is when we look at Scripture and we look at the, the birth of Christ, the first Christmas, there is one part of Christmas, there is one part of the birth of Jesus that we cannot allow to be separated from the account of what happened when Jesus was born. There, there is one part that if you eliminate this one part of Christmas, all of Christmas falls apart. And for that matter, all of Christianity crumbles. That this one part of Christmas that is so essential, that is so central to who we are as followers of Christ and what Christmas means, that we cannot allow it to be separated, which there is a, a bit of a war on Christmas to eliminate this one part of Christmas And I want to focus on this this morning in part just to remind us of this so that it draws us into a deeper celebration of what Christmas is all about, but also to reaffirm for you as individuals and for us as a church of where we stand on this one theological topic. Because this one thing, really when it comes to Christmas and Christianity for that matter, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. And so this morning I want to talk about the one thing. And the one thing that we cannot allow to be separated from everything else of Christmas. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So if you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to kind of jump in here and see this one thing in action. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to get Matthew's account of the first Christmas, starting in verse 18. It says this, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. So, so they're engaged, but in this time and culture, this was a very binding arrangement. In fact, it was more than just uh, breaking off an engagement, which can certainly happen in our culture. This was essentially they were married, but they were not living as they were married during this time. And so she was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through or by the Holy Spirit. Now, this account here, verse 18, Matthew jumps in here at verse 18. Mary is already four to five months pregnant. 
And so the account is already, before this, there's already, Gabriel has already come and, and proclaimed the message of you will be with child to, to Mary. That's already happened. There's been lots of events that have taken place. Mary goes to her uh, uh, um, relative Elizabeth for about three months. So she returns back to Nazareth and she is found or she's showing. And so people see that she's pregnant. Verse 19. But be, so because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so his plan here is a quiet divorce. Joseph, as it describes him, he's a righteous man. He doesn't want to expose her to public dis- disgrace. He doesn't want to take her through any unnecessary hardship. And so with a broken heart, his intention is to end the marriage. His intention is to break it off and to divorce And again, let's not miss, this would have been with a heavy heart. I mean, for Joseph, all of the plans they had talked about, the future of of being married and a family and all that life was going to entail, that was over. It was done. And so with a heavy heart, Joseph is intending to make this decision, make this move. Let's keep going, a couple more verses. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, not another man, as Joseph suspected. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I want to zero in this morning on this dream. On this message from Gabriel to Joseph here, because from this, this dream, we learn several important things. If you have your bulletin, I've got some fill-in-the-blanks here for you. I've got some fill-in-the-blanks. And so here's the first one we learn among, I'm just going to highlight three. There's more than three, but here's the first one. We learn that the baby is a boy. Now, this is pre-ultrasound days, so no need for a gender reveal party, right? Because it's just declared right there. It's going to be a a boy, and Mary will give birth to a son. That's the first thing we learn. Here's the next thing we learn. Next fill in the blank, it's this. That his name is to be Jesus. Now, names, just like today, names are important. Names back then meant something. They, 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 they had value. There was, there was importance to the, how the child was named. And in Jewish culture, a father always named the child. That was the job of the father. And so you'll notice here that Joseph is given a name to give to Jesus. Why? Because Joseph may be the parent, but he's not the father. God the Father gives the name that Joseph is to bestow upon his son, on on Jesus. And so he says his name is to be Jesus. And and, and this name is important here. The name Jesus, which is the Greek form of Joshua, basically, the name means God saves. That's what the name means. The name points to the future ministry of, who, of what Jesus was going to do and who he is. He is Savior. He was here to bring salvation. And so the name means God saves. So we learn that the baby's a boy. We learn that his name is to be Jesus. And here's the third thing that we learn. And here's the big one this morning. That Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal of this, but technically, we always refer to this as the virgin birth, don't we? But technically, this is really about the virgin conception. See, Jesus had a supernatural conception, but a very natural birth. 
But we use the term all the time, virgin birth, and that's okay. But, but technically, we're really talking about, aren't we, a virgin conception, that God, through the Holy Spirit, conceived a child without the use of a biological father. That's what this is about. And, and just to, to highlight this, too, is a bit of a mind-bender. But the beginning of Jesus was not the beginning of Jesus. What I mean by that is when Jesus was conceived and married, that was not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus, as the Son of God, is eternal. Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. In contrast, by the way, you and I, we are everlasting. We have a beginning, but we have no end. But Jesus is eternal. And if you really start to think about it, smoke will come out of your ears after a while. Because you start to think about, like, no beginning. How, do I, how does that work? Because you just kind of begin to roll that around in your mind of he has always been. He has always existed. Before the beginning began, Jesus existed. He was there before the beginning. Well, what was before that? Well, Jesus, God. He was there in perfect relationship and harmony as a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. Eternal, no beginning. And so the beginning of this Christmas account is not the beginning of Jesus. But here we see this this incredible message of Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the bottom line. Here's the big idea. What I hope you take from this morning with you, and it's your next fill in the blank. Here it is. The bottom line is that the virgin conception is the one thing that changes everything. It's the one thing that changes everything, and it's the one thing we cannot separate from Christmas. We can't. We can't, we, we can't allow it to be. It, it, it is the most—this is why this, this idea is the single most debated part of Christmas. Let me just give you some examples. History, throughout history, are all kinds of various ideas uh, to dismiss, discount, and dispute this idea of the virgin conception. Uh, let me, one example, the Jewish people, not too long after Christmas, not too long after the death and res- resurrection of Jesus, the, the Jewish culture began to develop an idea and spread this around in a Jewish book called the Talmud. And they spread around this idea, this idea that Jesus' dad was a Roman soldier named Pantera. That's just one of many different accounts to try to explain away the birth of Jesus. And history is replete with all kinds of different examples of different uh, things, explanations for how Jesus was born in a natural way. Or, or how about the scientific community? Th- this one makes me chuckle a little bit, but there was a study that took place among scientists where they discovered, they think, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but they discovered that if you shock or scare a rabbit, a female rabbit, enough, it will become pregnant. You just, you just scare it enough and instantly becomes pregnant. I have my doubts. I don't know about that. So then the idea was, we found gold. This is awesome. So here's what the explanation was. Mary obviously was shocked when the Gabriel, the angel, came and gave her the message. And it shocked her so much that it shocked her into pregnancy. Maybe. But here's the obvious problem. Mary's not a rabbit. So I, I just, I don't know what to do with that. But you see another explanation to try to explain it away. Or how about in contemporary culture or media? This was a recent dig in the New York Times. Check out this quote. It says, The the faith in the virgin birth reflects the way American Christianity, this is you, this is me, is becoming less intellectual and more mystical over time. In other words, this little slight underhanded dig, that if you hold to this idea, you're not rational. 
You're, you've lost all sense, if you will. You're stupid. That's what it's saying. And I suppose you would expect that from different places like media and culture and science and all that kind of stuff. But how about the church? Because even within capital C, big church, this idea also is under attack. It is. There are, if you go to a Christian bookstore, which I know are becoming increasingly rare, but if you were to walk into one, you will probably find authors there that dispute the idea of the virgin birth. Here's just one kind of famous example. This is from Rob Bell several years ago. He said this in his book, Velvet Elvis. He said, what if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry? That's a good Jewish name. Could you still be a Christian? Here's his conclusion. If the whole faith falls apart when we re-examine and rethink one spring or this one theological idea, then it wasn't that strong in the first place, was it? What he's saying is, what's the big deal? So what if Larry is Jesus' dad? Does Christianity all fall apart? He doesn't think so, because it's not that important. It's, it's, it's not essential. It's just a peripheral idea, part of a cute Christmas story. But what I want to, say to share this morning is to come back to the idea of saying, no, 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 no. It is essential to Christmas. It is essential to Christianity. And we have to take our stand on this idea and not lose sight of it individually and, of course, as, as a church collectively as well. Finally, Christianity Today, they put out a survey. And this survey found that doing surveys, uh, obviously it is a survey, is that 60% of Methodists do not believe in the virgin birth. 49% of Presbyterians and 34% of American Baptists. We're losing ground here. It's a big deal. This, this is really, really important. Maybe this is why a few years back, Larry King was interviewed, which is ironic because he interviewed everybody else, right? And Larry King was, was asked this question. He said, if you could interview anybody from world history, if you could just sit down with anybody, who would you pick to interview? You're the famous interviewer. Who would it be? He said, that's easy. Jesus Christ. If, if I could sit down with Jesus, that's who I would pick. And I said, okay, okay. Well, so, so imagine you could have that, that moment, that encounter, that interview with him. You could ask him one question, just one. What would you ask him? Interesting question, isn't it? What would you ask him? And Larry said, again, that's easy. Let me quote him here. He said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. He said, the answer to that question would define history for me. He's right. That's the, that's the one question to know the answer to he'd like to ask. Because it's a big deal. Because it's, it's, it's everything. Again, to reaffirm our commitment to this idea of Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. Because if the virgin conception is a lie, the foundation, again, of Christmas and of all Christianity falls apart. They say, well, isn't that drastic? Like, wh- why? Why would that be the case? Why would it all fall apart? What if Jesus' mom was not a virgin? What do we lose? I'm going to go pretty quickly through this, but here's some more fill-in-the-blanks for you. Here, how about this one? Number one, we, we, we lose this. The Bible, we lose the Bible. The Bible is a lie. If it's not true, the Bible is a lie. Why? 
Because over and over, in fact, nine times, and there should be listed in your bulletin there, nine times, there's the scriptures there in the bulletin, the Bible talks about, the Bible proclaims, the Bible says that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the Son of God. It teaches it over and over again. Repeatedly, Mary is called a virgin. And probably more importantly, Mary understood that she was a virgin and pregnant and talked about herself in that way. I don't think she got that one wrong. You know what I mean? Like, so, so here we see it over and over again. So if it's, if it's not true, we lose the Bible. Number two, if it's not true that Mary then is a liar, Mary is, among other things, a liar, because either she was running around on Joseph or she was running around with Joseph. But either way, she was running around. But to her credit, she's a good liar because then upon maybe discovery, well, when she was found to be pregnant, she concocted this story to get out of it, namely, well, God is the father of my baby. you think that would work, right? But then for 2,000 years, the lie, that lie has stuck. And foolish people for 2,000 years apparently have been believing it and celebrating this lie over and over again. Mary is a liar. Number three, next. If the virgin birth is not true, this happens. The next one is this, that Jesus is just like us. He's just like us. And maybe his dad's name was Larry. He's just a guy. He's not the son of God. He's not a savior. We're still lost in our sins. We're without hope of of rescue. Christmas, here's the bottom line then. Christmas is a story about two teenage, two teenage kids running around having sex before they should have. And then telling a lie. Telling a story. And tricking the entire world. In addition to that, we have hell to look forward to. Didn't that put you in the Christmas spirit? Didn't that like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you have this, this thing. If, if it's not true, then Jesus is just a guy. Like, I'm just a guy, and all of us are just people. It's just all that you have left. You lose it all if it's not, if he's not virgin born. And last one, number four. The Bible's prophecy about the virgin birth, it's still unfulfilled. Because the Bible is still the Bible, and it still talks about this Messiah coming and, she, and that he will be born of a virgin. It's still sitting there. Let's, let's read together. Matthew 20, verse, ch- verse 1, verse 20, chapter 1, verse 22. We're going to keep going. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. That the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so again, Matthew goes back to the Old Testament, pulls this prophecy out, this idea of, this, of the virgin will be with child. And, and, and just like most prophecies, let me just talk real quickly about prophecies without it sounding like a, a, a seminary classroom. But prophecies typically had two outcomes. Typically when a prophecy was given in the Old Testament, there was an immediate situation it was speaking to. And there was one immediate outcome. But the prophecy had a second leg to it. And the second leg was that there was something that was also, this prophecy was speaking not only to the immediate, it was speaking to the future as well. That something else was in store with this prophecy. It's so one prophecy, but two different outcomes. And that's the case here of Isaiah 7. That you have this one prophecy, but you have it speaking to something immediately going on in that time and place. And then you also, it speaks to this ultimate fulfillment, and I would argue more important fulfillment later on. 
Well, what was going on in Isaiah 7? Well, in Isaiah 7, the Ju- Judah, the, the, the nation there, was in trouble. And King Ahaz, who was a rebellious king, uh, was, was frustrating God. And Isaiah was the prophet going before him. And he said, King Ahaz, ask for a sign. He's like, oh, I won't ask for a sign. That angered God. And so Isaiah speaks this prophecy. And basically the prophecy is saying this, that before this child that's being spoken of here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, before this child becomes 13 years old, you will be free from your your enemy, the Assyrians. And that's what's going to happen. That's the sign that he's given to you. So naturally the question is, well, what child are we talking about? Well, immediately we're talking about Isaiah's child, actually. We're talking about Isaiah. See, Isaiah had a wife, but she died. And so when he gave this prophecy, he hadn't yet remarried, but he gives this prophecy, and he married then a virgin, another lady. And together they had a son. And the son's name was Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. Poor kid. Like, right? I mean, isn't that's a mouthful right there. But that's who this kid is. And this kid grew up. He was a natural-born child. Nothing remarkable in that way. But he grew up in the normal way before he was 12 years old. Turns out, God is faithful to his word. The nation, Israel, was freed from the Assyrians. God was faithful. That's the context of the historical uh, point of that passage. But ultimately, though, and more importantly, this refers to Jesus. This points to something a whole lot bigger that's going on. And so we have this prophecy here that if it's not Jesus, then it's still unfulfilled. Because Jesus, the New Testament story in Matthew and other places, picks up what Isaiah 7 talked about. That Jesus was, as it reports, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask this morning, as we begin to close, what's your conviction? And maybe for you, what I'm sharing this morning, you're like, I've been there, got this, it's my conviction, this is just kind of, I've just heard this before, and this is all good, and it reaffirms that. But maybe you're here this morning, and when you think about the virgin birth, it's something that's kind of fallen into the background of Christmas for you that you haven't thought about in a long time, or you haven't thought about in a way that just reminder of how important this very idea is, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that this is the one thing about Christmas that changes everything. I want to close with this. And the band, you guys come on up if you would, please. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, Jesus is an adult, and he's... He's interacting with his disciples one day, and he's, he's going around, and he, they're, just, they're just talking. They're in conversation. And as I imagine it playing out, Jesus kind of gets serious for a moment. And all the banter's going on with the disciples. He says, guys, guys, hold on a second. He says, I, I want to ask you something. He said, guys, who do people say that I am? Remember this account? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples then, the, the conversation obviously switches to the question. And, and so the disciples begin to interact with Jesus. And they said, well, much like today, by the way, they began to kind of give this laundry list of different ideas that people have about Jesus. Well, well Jesus, some say that you're, you're John the Baptist. Some say you're John the Baptist, you know, back from the dead. So, some say that you are Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Uh, some say you're some other, some other prophet. Again, you see just these different ideas, these different opinions and views about who Jesus is. And then he says, but what about you? And in the Greek, that you is plural. He's talking to all of them. 
What about you all? What do you say? Who do you say that I am? And maybe it was quiet for a few moments, I don't know. But finally, Peter speaks up. And he said this, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, and here it is, the Son of the living God. You're the Son of God. The, 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 the conviction there, the, the important place that Peter finally got to of, of faith and who, accurate faith in who Jesus is, included this idea. Jesus, yes you're, yes, you're human, but you're also divine. And you're not like us, but you kind of are because you're human, but you are so different than us. Two natures, one person. You are the son of the living God. And that was his conviction. And that was their conviction, a conviction they died for. So how about you this morning? What do you say? Can, can I just encourage all of us that we come this Christmas, as, as Christmas is just days away, as you're going to have your traditions and traveling to see family and all the things you're going to be involved in and hopefully come in here, we're celebrating tomorrow night and Tuesday night, but just don't lose sight of, grab a hold of, praise God for the idea, the reality and the truth that Jesus is virgin-born, the Son of God. And don't ever separate that from Christmas. Because when we do, we lose Christmas. We do. Would you do this with me? Would you just stand? We're just gonna, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna worship because we're gonna, we're gonna worship this Son. We're gonna worship the Son of God. We're gonna worship because Jesus is the Son of God. And we're gonna close our time this morning in a celebration of who He is as you form your conviction, hold your conviction this morning about Jesus and who he is as the Son of God. We'll just pray together and then we're going to worship. Father, thank you so much that, that we can come back to this important idea, that we can be reminded and that we can celebrate this, that you are the Son of God, that you are, are conceived, were conceived by the Holy Spirit, that you are truly Savior, Messiah, Lord of lords and King of kings. And Lord, we hang on to this idea. We celebrate this idea. Father, we cling to it this Christmas. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you work in our lives. And now, Lord, we worship you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, if we don't see you before Christmas, we, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, and just encourage you, as Pastor Ryan said, to think deeply, uh, open your heart, and who, who do you say that Jesus is? Um, let him be Lord of your life, and then we get to celebrate his birth. Um, Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us this morning. Have a wonderful week.